morning, afternoon, it's two o'clock, good afternoon. Um, so good to have you guys with us this morning, afternoon, afternoon, I'll get it right, I promise, at one stage. Um, we're here because this afternoon is so special, this day um, is so, so special. But we want to do things a little bit differently today, we're just going to and I don't think we've come up with a title for the series that we're about to unfold together now, but I think I'll just call it Encounters with Jesus, just for the sake of giving it a name. And we want to meet a few characters that Jesus met along the way as He was going to the cross. And our story picks up in Luke 22, 47, from verse 47, where we meet our very, very first man. Let's read that together. This is Jesus to give you some context in the garden of Gethsemane where he'd just been praying and they're about to come and take him away. As I said, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. It doesn't mention our character's name in this particular passage, but it tells us what his name is in John, the servants of the high priest. His name was actually Malchus, which means my king, which I think is particularly interesting. This here, it's mentioned in all the Gospels, that one-liner of the servant of the high priest was there. Peter was coming up, he was angry. He's like, they're about to arrest Jesus. He doesn't know what to do. He's frantic. He's got a sword at his side. He takes the sword. He swings it at the nearest person he sees. And either he has really good aim or really bad aim, but he misses the guy's head, luckily. And he just chops off his right ear. So we just take a second to look at this man, the servant of the high priest, Malchus. <coughs> To be the servant of the high priest, he was the right-hand man of the high priest. Whenever the high priest needed anything, he would call on this man, Malchus. And so over the years, this man, and especially over the last 12 months, this Malchus guy, he would have spent more time in the high priest's presence than anybody else. And so he would have heard about this Jesus. He would have heard that there is a man who is upsetting the Jewish faith, who is upsetting all the leaders, who is doing all these things, who is going out to all these countries and doing all these miracles and touching all these lives. But hey, he's not from us. He's doing things that are against God. He's turning our faith over on its head. He's leading people away from Judaism to something else. And so he would have heard the high priest, he would have heard him speak about Jesus with anger, with contempt, with jealousy, with hatred plotting with all the people who would walk into that room how they were going to kill Jesus. Malchus would have been standing there. 
And so before this day, this man would never have had a personal encounter with Jesus. Maybe he saw him far off in the crowd somewhere. But every time he saw this Jesus doing whatever he was doing, it would have been tainted with the lens that the high priest had put on him. This is a blasphemer. This is an evil man leading a rebellion. That's who Jesus was to Malchus. At least what I think he would have been. And so he goes on this night with a mob carrying swords and clubs to finally arrest this Jesus. And all of a sudden, an unexpected turn of events happens and his ear is off. Did not expect that moving into that night. And this Jesus who he'd heard so much about in the wrong light. He comes up in another gospel, I think it's in John. It says that when Jesus went to touch his ear, he said, permit even this. In other words, please allow me. Malchus knows that this man is about to be captured, tortured and killed in the most horrific way. And up to this point, maybe he even thinks that he deserves it. But that all changes when this Jesus comes up, so gently places his hand on his ear and puts it back. He says, permit even this. I don't think it would have been the action of healing. By the way, that is the last time Jesus healed anybody while he was on earth. That was the last miraculous healing act that Jesus did while he was here. Was Malchus's ear. I don't think it was the healing that touched Malchus's heart. I think it was the look in his eyes as he was touching. There was no anger. There was no bitterness. There was no hatred. There was just, permit me to heal you. Let me. And so he would have gone back to the temple, seeing Jesus being led away in chains. He would have been standing next to the high priest as the high priest hurled accusations at him, as they blindfolded him and had him beaten. And he would have listened to how Jesus just looked on at the crowd, not answering them a word, but the way that he looked at them was just with pity. I pity you. You don't know what you're doing. And this little niggling doubt arose in Malchus's heart. Is this man really who they say he is? He would have seen him let out, tortured, go through hell for the next six hours and finally crucified. But remember, this Malchus lived at the temple. That was his home. He knew about this thing called the Holy of Holies that was covered with a veil. And that veil represented the distance between us and God because we've sinned and we can't go into the presence of God because He's holy, He's pure, He's clean, and we're not. And there was always this veil in between us and God. But as Malchus would have been leaving with the crowd after Jesus gave out his last breath, he would have felt the ground begin to shake. There was an earthquake. And they ran back to the temple and what would Malchus have seen? That same veil torn from top to bottom. And that doubt is getting really serious in Malchus's heart now. What if this man is not who they say he is, but what if this man is who he really says he is? What if he is the Messiah? What if he is the king? What if he is my king?
Um, that was scene one um, where we heard about Malchus. Um, scene two for us is Simon from Cyrene. Um, and we find his story um, in Mark 15, and we'll read that together in just a sec. Mark 15, 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. That is the Praetorium. Praetorium, sorry. And called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set, set it on him. And they began to call out, Hail the King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, falling on their knees, and they paid homage to him. When they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and his own clothes on him. Then they led him to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of charge against him read, the king of the Jews. So we have this Simon from Cyrene. We see a very glimpse part of his story here. Um, go through the other gospels if you actually want to get the full, all, all four angles from the gospels. Um, so he comes from a place called Cyrene. Um, so Cyrene now would be Libya, um, and he's going to Jerusalem. So let me paint a picture. You've got Africa and Jerusalem, and I looked it up, and it's 1,812 kilometers in between. Back then, there's no planes, there's no cars. There's, you know, you got to either walk or horse, camel, whatever they took. So. Let's say he walked, the journey would have took 32 days to get there. So it took him a month to get to Jerusalem. You want to go and, you know, he took a camel, just half that. He took half a month to, to get to Jerusalem. But we know he's a Jew because he's coming over to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And, you know, his dream, you know, any Jew's dream at that time is, I want to I celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. So he took his money, took all he could to travel to Jerusalem. Um, at the t just before the Passover, he stayed in a nearby city. So once the Passover came, he would go to Jerusalem straight away. So as all that is happening, on the other side, we, s we have Jesus. Um, so he's, Jesus, in all this time, he's moving from court to court. Between Herod, Pilate, he's traveling everywhere. He's getting humiliated. He's getting beaten. He's getting mocked and comes the time where Jesus carries his cross and he's going to Golgotha and that's when they meet. Jesus walked for some part of the destination but then you know he's been uh, yeah he's been tortured he's been through a heck of a lot during the last f few hours and he just couldn't carry it anymore. So, so these Roman soldiers, they're like, all right, you. And they just grab him out the crowd. He's like, you carry the cross until Golgotha. Now, that's not what Simon wants. He just 
wants to celebrate the Passover and he's just passing by to get to Jerusalem so he can celebrate. But these soldiers just stop him and they're like, nah, you have to carry the cross. And he's just forced. He's not going to say no. These are Roman soldiers. They're not going to take no for an answer. You know, I assume Simon was annoyed at the fact during this time, like, he'd be just frustrated. I, like, I'm here to celebrate. I want to see what this is all about. I'm finally in Jerusalem. It took me so long to get here. But now that he's finally there, he's forced to take the cross. But also he's frustrated because he's carrying a cross of a criminal. In the Jews' eyes, carrying the cross of a, a criminal, he's become unclean now. He, he's, you know, he's not pure to go and celebrate the Passover. This is what I think. I just feel he would have been filled with rage, with hate towards these Roman soldiers and possibly towards just like why Jesus, like what, why is this all going on? So, Simon at the time didn't know what he was doing meant. Um, but we further, if we read our Bibles, in Acts 13, um, there's a character called Simon the Niger. And I believe that is the same Simon that is Simon of Cyrene. And he's the one that sent Saul and Barnabas on their first mission. So... If you take what happened with Simon and you look at this other Simon in Acts, if they are really the same character, and I, I believe they are, then what happened to him at the cross? We would have never had Saul and Barnabas on the other side preaching the gospel to everywhere they went, pretty much all of Asia. So for Simon to... To just be in that situation, we, none of us, I don't think, would have been here today. He wasn't happy with the way he got treated. He wasn't happy by carrying the cross. Man, that's, it's heavy and it's such a long distance. A lot of the time we don't realize what God is blessing us with now. You know, we're just, there's so much that God is giving us, but it doesn't tick and it takes some time afterwards. Um, it takes some time afterwards to just, you know, click and you're like, oh yeah, so that was from God back then. Had I realized, you know, things could have been so much easier. Things could have been just so much smoother. But was this meeting between Jesus and Simon a coincidence? Is this us here today? Is this a coincidence that you're here today? In many situations that happen to us in our lives, we think that it's just a coincidence. But the truth is that God created that chance for you to be here. He created that chance for you to hear about these scenes we're going to be talking about. Um, yeah, was today a coincidence for you? Or you just, you just came with family, you just came because it's Good Friday? Why are you here? Our next scene, scene three, um, comes in Matthew 27, 45 to 54.
From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a, live, in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who have died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion, those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that, that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. In this segment, we, we see the centurion. You know, we, we come across many characters. We have the two thieves, which we spoke about last year. We've got Barabbas. But, yeah, we're focusing on the centurion here. And this guy, he, he oversees a hundred Roman soldiers. He, these guys, like I said previously, they're Roman soldiers. They're as tough as they're going to get strongest army at the time and he was in charge of all these people he has that much power and you know he can just tell them go do this they'll do it and they're all very ruthless you know when you read or see killing torture you know these words should shock you at least um, or they just stir up something inside that it makes you feel uneasy in Matthew 27, 27, we read um, a whole garrison of these guys bet up Jesus and mocked him. You know, there's, there's cruelty, there's torture. This is how these guys live. It's just... They do this on a daily basis. It's not... Uh, a once-off that they crucified Jesus. No, they've been crucifying other criminals a long way. These guys, they're used to this. You know, the centurion, he's seeing people die every day. It's, it's become a natural thing for him. It wasn't the pain of Jesus that made him believe that Jesus was the Son of God, as he declared. So, what's the difference between Jesus and, and any other person he... he either crucified or put to death or tortured. How did the centurion see that he was the son of God? And I believe this, like, this segment just gives us church or as a body of Christ hope. This man, he's, he's killed people, he's tortured people, he's, he's done unspeakable things. And at a split moment, we just see him declare, this is the Son of God. He's, he declared G that this is Jesus. He is the Son of God. And I don't know about you, but for some of you, you might have, have experienced this, where, you know, it's just, it finally clicks with you. You know, Jesus died for me. He's there for me. He's done, every, he's 
took up the cross for me. And that was his moment. That was the centurion's moment. A lot of the time, we've already decided for other people whether they, they can be Jesus followers or not. A lot of the time, we judge so quickly. They're like, oh, no, there's no way for them that they can be Christians. There's no way for them they can follow God. But it finally clicked for this centurion, and it needs to click for us too. Never give up hope on someone that they will follow Jesus. It could take 10 years, it could take a day. Never stop praying for somebody. If you read it, this segment again and again, there's no logical explanation for the centurion to believe that he's the son of God. There's, I don't know, only explanation is that he didn't understand it himself. It, it took Jesus dying on the cross to finally get him to see that he's the son of God. And that's God's love. You know, Jesus, God's love just comes in. Once it fills you, you, you're just overwhelmed. You're like, how can I live with this much love? How can I live when this man took up a cross for me and he was so pure? He had nothing for me to just, he, he had nothing wrong with him. He died for me, taking up all my sins. That's God's love. The, the centurion, like, his hope for us. His hope for us that so many people can come to Jesus. And that's where I want to get to is never give up on somebody that you think you've already judged upon them. No, they, they won't come to know Jesus. The last character we're going to look at this afternoon is found in Luke 23 from verse 44. And his name is Joseph. He comes from a place called Arimathea. And like all the other characters that we've discussed, each of the Gospels has a different thing to say about this guy. But all in all, he doesn't get more than a paragraph in each Gospel. And yet he played such a key role in the story of Jesus was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out with a loud voice father into your hands I commit my spirit and when he had said this he breathed his last the centurion saying what had happened praised God and said surely this was a righteous man when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place they beat their breasts and went away but all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one which yet no one had been laid. In, it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. I've got to take note of a couple of key things here. Um, not even about Joseph himself at this point, but about the time 
that all of this was taking place. Jesus was crucified at about 9 a.m., roughly. He was on the cross till about 3 p.m. And the Jewish day begins at 6 in the morning and ends at sunrise and ends at sunset. So the Sabbath, which is Saturday, so this was Friday, Saturday, the Sabbath, was about to begin from 6 p.m. So this man, Joseph, had a three-hour window in which to do all the things that we just read. It says that he was a good man. That he was a very wealthy man. We get that in other Gospels. He took up half a mountainside and carved a tomb in the rock. Most people in that time in Jerusalem would have just picked a ditch in the ground somewhere and would have put a cross on top of it, not a cross, would have put some sort of marking on top of that and that would have been their tomb. But it's a very, very wealthy thing to go to buy a plot of land, buy part of the mountainside, get workers to actually bring out that rock and create a tomb, a room within there. And so I'm assuming that he was an older gentleman because it looks like he was preparing kind of for the end. But he goes and says he was a member of the council. This guy had pull. The council that it's talking about here is the same council that sat around and made the decision to kill Jesus. This man was on that same council and so you might be tempted to paint him as an evil man at the get-go. But then we get this epic line that says, but he did not consent he didn't agree with what they were doing. But in other Gospels, we hear that he never voiced that, unfortunately, for fear of the Jews, just like everybody else. There are a hundred people in a room, all who want to kill somebody, if you're the voice that pipes up and says, no, I don't think this is right. It's a lot of trouble that can come your way. And so it says that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And in other Gospels, it says that he was a disciple of Jesus in secret. He followed Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He really did. And he'd been silent this whole time. And as tears would have, I'm assuming, been streaming down his face while he's standing there watching the hope of the world to him give up his last breath. In that moment, in the moment of the lowest hope where it's all over. We thought that this man was the king, but now he's dead. It says that all of Jesus' disciples forsook him and fled. And those who didn't do that followed at a distance. But we get this man in this epic one-liner going to see Pilate, the man who stood in front of a crowd of thousands and commanded that Jesus be scourged and crucified. How brave an action is that? He went to him as soon as Jesus breathed his last breath. He didn't have much time because he couldn't work on the Saturday. He had to do it before 6 p.m. Plucked up the courage, walks into Pilate's office and begs begs for Jesus' body. This man has just been pronounced a criminal in front of the entire state. And here is a man, a rich man, a well-known man, so well-known that he can just walk into Pilate's office. He has that power. Asking for the body of a criminal. So it was thought. How brave an action is that? 
See, what Joseph didn't know that he was doing is that he was fulfilling a 600-year-old prophecy. In Isaiah 53, verse 9, you don't have to pull it up, it says this, And he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Joseph was that wealthy man who gave him the grave. In order for Jesus to rise from that grave, for that stone to be rolled away, would have had to been in that specific grave. 600 years beforehand, God was like, it will be this man, Joseph of Arimathea, who I will call and will give an honorable mention to for the courage that he had. The love, the affection for Jesus that a believer has is not quenched or diminished even in the saddest of times. The rest of the disciples were nowhere to be found, but this man stepped up and God honors him for it. But how glorious we sang the start. The grave was borrowed. On the third day, the stone was rolled away. The disciples come in and they see the most profound sight. The linen that Jesus had been wrapped in. The part that was wrapped around his head had been neatly folded and placed where the head was lying. The part that was around his body was neatly folded and placed where his body had been lying separately, neatly. As if for Jesus to say to Joseph, thank you for allowing me to use this. Thank you for letting me be a guest in this room just for these days. It was never going to be my final destination. It was never going to be my home. What a joy it would have been to Joseph to know that his faith was not in vain, that our faith is not in vain. Man, what a journey we've been on. Um, you know, we saw, we saw four different characters. We saw how each of them interacted with Jesus along the journey of the cross. But I want to focus on now. God is calling you right now, each and every one of you. You're not here by coincidence. You're not there like Simon was, oh, I was just passing by. You're not passing by. You're here for a reason. You are here to hear God's word today. You are here to listen to those four characters and each of those stories. So which one of these characters are you today? Are you Malchus where you just, you know, you hated Jesus. You, you don't know anything about him. You, you just heard of him. Or are you Simon? You just came, it's Good Friday, you know, it's Easter time. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to, you know, it's, it's the once a year I, I get to come and, and listen. Are you Joseph? You just, you were afraid to voice your opinion. Or are you the centurion? Are you so hard-hearted that you just don't want to listen to what God is telling you tonight? Which of these four are you tonight? You know, church is full of Christians, but it doesn't mean that it's full of godly people. God, Jesus wants disciples. He doesn't want Christians. He wants disciples to follow Him each and every day. Go to Him now. Go to Him 
right now. Just take, take a moment. Take, take some time in prayer right now. As the worship team is just playing in the background, take some time to just put it all on Him. Lay whatever you need. Lay whatever it is that is just pulling you down, is pulling you back. Talk with Him. If you are ugly, tell Him, God, I want to be in your image. If it's fear, tell Him, God, I want to overcome it. I want to be strong. If you're weak, tell Him, God, help me to, to overcome this weakness. Whatever it is that you've connected with tonight, whatever it is that you saw in the four characters that you could potentially see in yourselves tonight, what is it that you're reaching out for God today? Meet Him at the cross right now. He's on the cross. And you're just looking up at Him. You just put it on Him. What have you got to lose? You're not here by chance. Take some time.